0: Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grove Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Nick, and I have the honor and privilege of pastoring the Grove Church right here in Fontana, California. Here at the Grove, our vision is to see our community grow closer to Christ, be givers like Christ, and reintroduce the lost to Christ. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged, you'll grow a little in your faith, and you wouldn't just hear the word, but you would become a doer of the word. But I wouldn't just stop there. I encourage you to share this message with your friends, family, co-workers, neighbors and anyone else you can think of. And after you do that, follow us on social media and visit our website at yourgrovechurch.org to learn more about who we are as a ministry and how you can get involved and plugged in right here at The Grove. I'm excited for you to hear this message. I can't wait. So get your notes ready and let's dive all the way in together. All right, so we are in the final installment of our series on the book of James. This is it. This is the last message on this within this series. So let's start with um, we're going to look at James chapter four uh, and James chapter four is going to finish us out in this series. So we're going to look at James chapter four the entire uh, book of James chapter four verses one through 17. And this is going to set the stage for us today. So here's what it says, James chapter four, verse one. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within us or you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore anyone who chooses to befriend of a world of the world becomes an enemy of God. We'll break down what this means or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has cause to dwell in us look at your neighbor and say he longs for you but he gives us more grace that is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble submit yourselves then to God resist the devil and he will flee from you come near to God and he will come near to you wash your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double Mind it. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the, the one who is able to save and destroy. Um, there is a very well known prophet named Tupac Shakur who says, Only God can judge me, right? Look at your neighbor and say, Only God can judge me. <laughs> but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Look at your neighbor and say, Who are you? There's another well-known prophet named Andre Andrew Caldwell, who says, who are me to judge? Who are me to judge? Verse 13. Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This is James chapter four. Lord, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that this message, the last installment in this series, just continues to fortify us, continues to solidify this word. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just hear it, but we would be doers of this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this final installment on the series, we are talking about submitting ourselves to God. That is what we're focused on today. James teaches us about this in uh in James chapter four, throughout that text, um, and some of your Bibles, the header for that, that passage of scripture is described as submitting yourselves to God. And so this is what James is going to teach us today as we wrap up this series. As we we set the foundation in uh in week one of this series, and we talked about this quote, right? And here's what it what it says: for James, works is a natural result of faith. When a person truly believes in something, he or she will act on what they believe or what that belief is. With this letter, so talking about the book of James, with this letter, James was sounding a wake-up call to all Christians. What is that wake-up call? Get your life in line with what you believe. That is the wake-up call that James is trying to give all of us as believers. Get your life in line with what you believe believe. And so throughout this series, we've also learned something very important about the book of James. And it is that James focuses on the word trials, right? Or in the Greek, pyramos, which means to test, to try, or to prove. This is all stuff we learned in part one of this series. And James ultimately is coming to teach us that trials are meant to make us stronger. And our willingness to go through these trials and to fight and to persevere and and not give in our willingness to do all of these things and allow our faith to be tested proves that we don't just have some surface level type of faith, but we have faith that is authenticated, right? We have faith that is proven. We have faith that is tested, that has gone through the fire and has proven to be real faith. And so in this installment of the series, which is really part two of last week's message, uh, we're wrapping up the series by learning what James teaches us about submitting ourselves to God. And there's a couple of things I think about when I think about what it means to submit, right? The first thing I think about is this definition of submit. Um, and there's two definitions. One is to accept or yield to to a superior force to the authority or will of another person, right? So I am giving in, I am turning myself over to this authoritative figure or this more superior force. I am yielding to this person. And in this case as believers, and what James is teaching us is we are yielding to God. We are submitting ourselves To him. Again, James is trying to show us that we have to get our life in line with what we believe. And if that is truly what we believe, if if what we truly believe is God and his word and the scriptures and who he is in Jesus, if we truly believe in all of that, James is trying to tell us that we have to accept and yield to this superior God. We have to accept and yield to the authority of Jesus Christ and God himself. The other definition of submit is to present to a person or body for consideration or judgment. So I am submitting something and I want you to judge it. In other words, what James is trying to teach us with that part of the definition is, I am giving, I am submitting my life over to God and I want God to judge my life. Not my friends, not my family, but I want God to be the judge of my life. And not only that, but we can't stand in judgment of anyone else's life. So that's one of the things I think about when I think about submit. When I think about uh, the word submit, I think about the word submission too, right? Does everyone know what submission is? When I think of submission, actually, what comes to mind, um, and this is not, you know, theologically sound, but when I think about the word submission, I actually think about mixed martial arts. That's what I think about. I think about like UFC. I think about submission because submission, when it comes to, uh, like combat sports, like UFC, is basically uh, when your opponent yields to you or taps or gives in because of some type of maneuver that you've put on them that causes them to quit, in other words. Basically, they're saying, what you're doing to me, I am tapping out because it, it's, I'm, I'm gonna die. At some point, if you keep this submission move on me, I'm going to die. And so typically submissions are generally classified in two different categories, right? When we're talking about combat sports, there's two types of submission moves. You There's like a joint lock, so like an arm bar or an ankle lock or a knee bar. And the danger with this type of submission is that it may overextend your joints. And so I could break someone's arm or I could break someone's knee and pull something out of his socket because I am grabbing them in such a way that it is overextending the joint, which will cause you to submit. Or another type of submission is like a chokehold. And so I can get behind you and put on a certain maneuver. And the danger in in a chokehold is that you will lose blood flow to your brain and then you may pass out, right? So in both of these moves, the goal is to get your opponent to tap out and to quit. And so these are the things I think about. Now, I wanna help you picture what this is. And so I'm gonna show you a, a, a type of submission. So I'm gonna play this video for you which is gonna help us get a sense for what an actual submission is. And here we go. So here we are, we have this very popular fight at the time between Ronda Rousey and this, this one person, Kat Zingano. And so watch this, this is the quickest submission for women in UFC history. So watch the arm of the person in the blue shorts, watch her arm, and this is why you wanna submit. So essentially, if she keeps the move going, she will break this person's arm out of the socket, and that's that. You may not be able to use that arm anymore. So the person in the white, Kat Zingano, uh, appropriately does what is called taps out. And so they submit. In other words, I'm giving in, I'm yielding to my opponent because in this moment, this technique, this maneuver is more superior than anything I could experience. And so I am yielding to this person. So that is, we'll, we'll get that off the screen just in case anyone gets a little squeamish, but that is a submission move. And so in, inevitably that person is going to tap out and give Why am I showing us this? Because it's not the type of submission that we want to find ourselves in. Not from a physical standpoint of like, of course, you don't want to be in a UFC fight unless you like that kind of thing. You like getting punched in the face with close to bare knuckles. If you like that thing, that's on you. But that is, that is when we're talking spiritually, that is not the type of submission that we wanna be in. That's not this type of submission that James is talking about. In other words, James is trying to help us understand how we can submit to God in a proactive manner and not a reactive manner. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is that the last thing we wanna do as believers is find ourselves in a position where we have no choice but to tap out and to to submit because of some sort of danger or environment that we've put ourselves in. Right. In other words, the last thing I wanna do is find myself in such a terrible position, in such a lowly place, that the only place I have to turn to is God. Now, sometimes that is a great place to be, but wouldn't it be better for us to proactively submit to God than to find ourselves being beat up and in danger and, and in difficult situations because we have gone against what God's word has said and now we have no other choice? Or would we rather want to proactively at this age of our lives submit ourselves to God proactively? In other words, I'm demonstrating faith when I am proactive in my submission. So I'm not waiting for things to get so bad that, okay, now I'm going to call on God. No, it's in the good times. It's in the bad times. I'm going to call on God and I'm going to submit myself to God. So the last thing we want to do is find ourselves in a position where we have to tap out. But instead, we want to be proactive when it comes to God. We don't want to be in a position where where we're so lost or so broken because of the mistakes that we've made, that we put ourselves through unnecessary situations. That's not the position that we want to be in. We don't want to leave ourselves in such a poor condition that, that God never intended for us to experience. And so James is trying to help us before we get to that point, submit our lives to God. So Jane's message to us is, is on this topic of submission, but it's all about being proactive. It's not reactive, right? When we're reactive to something, we are acting in response to a situation rather than creating or controlling it. So when we are reactively submitting to God, that means we found ourselves in a position that we are we can't control, we haven't created a good environment for ourselves, and so we have nowhere else to turn except for God. And God is not looking for us to be, he's not looking to be the last option for us. When we find ourselves in danger or we find ourselves in this, God is not looking for us to be the last resort. He's looking for us to be the first choice. And so we wanna be proactive. And when we're proactive, we are creating or controlling a situation by causing something to happen rather than responding to it after it has happened. So on one end, it is us taking control of our lives and the situation and saying, God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to give you everything that I have. And not as a result of, God, I'm broken and I've gotten myself in this position and I have nowhere else to go. But it's all about being proactive in submitting our lives to God. So James shows us a few things and how do we submit ourselves to God? How do we put ourselves in that position. Here's the first thing that James teaches us. He tells us to submit our desires and requests to God. That's what he's showing us. Submit our desires and requests to God. That's the first thing he shows us. Look at James chapter four, verses one through two. Here's what it says, and we'll put it on the screen um, for those who may not have a Bible. James chapter one, um, James chapter four, verses one. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't you don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Right. So James is trying to describe to us that where you find yourself battling and in a position that you don't want to be in is when you start dealing with your own desires, when you start allowing your desires to take precedent over what God desires. In verse two, it says, you desire, but do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. In other words, you have all these desires on the inside of you. And anytime you follow your own desires, so what you wanna do versus what God has called you to do, you find yourself in a position doing things that God never intended for you to do. And the outcome is destruction. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So there's a lot of inward fighting that happens you do not have because you do not ask God and so what James is trying to show us is that when I submit my desires and my requests to God and I'm asking God for these things not taking matters into my own hand when I am following his desires not creating my own desires when I am following those things when I am submitting my desires and my requests to God that is when things begin to happen for me the conflict within us between our, is actually between our sinful desires uh, for pleasure and the desire for God's will. So we're always going to have this infighting. We're always going to experience this, man, here's what I want to do, but here's what God wants me to do. And unfortunately, as even as Christians, we, we tend to choose what we want to do as opposed to what God was, wants us to do. And then we find ourselves in a position where we're asking, oh God, why? Why am I in this position? Why am I doing, why am I doing this? Why is this happening? Instead of going back and asking ourselves the question, why did I choose my desires over God's desires? We forget that doing God's will is in fact pleasureful to us as believers. Here we are thinking that, oh, if I do what I wanna do and I do what I get to do, it, man, I'm, I'm gonna have all of these pleasures. I'm gonna feel great. And all these things that I want are gonna come to pass because I am making it happen for myself. Forgetting that actually doing God's will is the perfect place for us to be. There's no better place for us to be than in God's will. And what does it mean to be in God's will? That means doing what God has called you to do. That means doing the purposes that God has planned for you long before you were even born. Doing those things will produce pleasures for us. Uh, so James is trying to help us get ahead of this by telling us that what we desire will lead to more inward conflict. What you desire and doing what you desire will lead to more conflict. Never do you do, you, uh, do what you want to do and feel 100% satisfied by doing that. You will always have a moment where you start to feel like, man, I'm doing what I set out to do and I'm accomplishing all these great goals, but I'm still left unsatisfied. So for instance, we'll complain about people who are not particularly great people by way of their actions, right? So we'll see certain figures in, in pop culture and we'll ask ourselves the question, why is this person rich? Or why does this person have money? This person is a bad person. But yet suicide rates for people who are rich are probably the highest ever because they are unsatisfied with these material things. They are unsatisfied by, you know, fulfilling their own desires and they will always be in search of something bigger than themselves. Anytime you set out to do what you wanna do as opposed to what God wants you to do, you will always be in search of something bigger than yourself. You will never feel that sense of fulfillment. Maybe temporarily, maybe temporarily you will feel satisfied. But in the long run, and life is about the long run, you wanna feel the ultimate pleasure and satisfaction and that comes from doing what God has called us to do. And so how do we focus on what God wants for us and not what we want for ourselves? David shows us this in Psalms chapter 37, verses 3 through 4. Here's what it says. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so the first thing David is teaching us is, Listen, trust in the Lord. If you're gonna do what God has called you to do, it requires you to trust him. It's all about faith, right? Because I have to trust that what I'm hearing, not what I'm seeing, and not having all these clear directions, I have to trust that the way that I'm going, because it is supported by God and God's word, I have to trust that and walk in that direction, even though it feels like I only have parts of the information. So I've gotta trust in the Lord. If I'm gonna do God's will, I have to trust him that he's leading me into all that is good. And so I have to trust him. Dwell in the land and enjoy a safe pasture. I have to be committed to him. Not anything else, not my own wills, not my own desires, but I've gotta be in committed to him. I have to take delight in the Lord. I have to, I have to want to be in his presence. If I'm gonna take delight in the Lord, I have to want to be around him. I have to want to spend time with him. I have to want to read his word. I have to want to pray. I have to want to come to church. I have to take delight in the Lord. And it means spending time around him, his presence, wanting to get more of him, more of his spirit in my life, more of, more, even in the moments when I think it's, it's, it's less important, even in the moments when I feel like, you know, it's like those moments when you're in the restroom. It's like all of those moments can turn into prayer moments. When I'm walking into work, it can turn into a prayer moment. I've got to take delight in the Lord. And when I do those things, when I'm trusting in him, when I'm taking in delight in him and spending time with him, then he gives me the desires of my heart. It starts with our dependence on the Lord and being more than content But taking pleasure in knowing him for ourselves, not just in knowing of him, but knowing him for myself. And that only comes with spending time with him. From there, our desires should align with God's will for our lives. More than that, God will give you the things that you desire. So it's not just about, you know, um, oh, oh, when I have, when I take delight in the Lord, then, then the things that I'm doing, you know, oh, God God will allow those things to come to pass. No, it is trusting that when you take delight in the Lord, he is going to give you the things that your heart should desire. And when he gives you the things that your heart should desire and you are faithful to doing those things, that is when God fulfills his plans in your life. When our desires are rooted in the Lord, he will fulfill these desires. And what comes with that are satisfaction and peace and comfort and joy. When we are living out what God has called us to live out, all of those things come with it. I also believe when we trust in the Lord, he will give us the things that we should care about. He should give us the things that we should focus our attention on. He will give us the things that align with our purpose and we should operate in those things fully and allow him to do everything that he's called us to do. So James is trying to show us like, listen, if you are gonna submit your whole self to God, you gotta submit your desires and your requests to God. The next thing that James is gonna teach us about submitting ourselves is submit your intentions to God. Submit your intentions to God. He describes it in this text as our motives, right? So James chapter four, verse three, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. When you're praying, why why are you asking for what you're asking for? It's a healthy question for us. When I go down to pray, I need to ask, man, why am I praying for this specific thing? Why am I asking God to do this thing in my life? What is it gonna yield? What is it gonna prove? What is it gonna show? Am I asking simply because I want the things that I want? Is that the reason why I'm asking? Right, maybe I'm asking for a certain job in a field or career that God has not called me to, but here I am praying about this job, here I am praying about these things, but at the end of the day, is it what God has called you to do? If you're praying for the things and you're asking, and oh Lord, please, I know, I know you've called me to do X, Y, Z, but, but Lord, I want these other things over here. These are more attractive things. These are better for me. When I'm praying about things that don't align with God's will, why 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 do you expect God to do those things? Right? Like maybe I'm praying for a specific somebody or a person and I keep trying to pray that God will make this thing work and God is already showing me, listen, this is not the person that I've called you to be with. This is not the person I've called you to build a life with. But you continue to pray and pray and pray about these things and wonder why things don't get better and things are not moving forward. It's because you have chosen to pray for things and your motives and your intentions don't align with what God has called you to be and do. There's a great quote about about praying uh, and and it goes like this. It says, if all of your prayers were answered, would it change your world or would it change the world? So in other words, if what you're praying for only impacts you, how is that a positive prayer? How is that a purposeful prayer? If it only impacts you in a positive way or am I praying for the things that if it were to come to pass in my life, it would allow me to impact more people on a greater scale. So when I'm praying for finances, is it only gonna make my life better or is it gonna allow me to be a blessing to other people? So my intentions have to be in the right place. If I'm praying for a job, is it so that it'll allow me to eat or is it God, I'm praying for this job because if you bless me with this, it allow me to feed 50 people um, who I know are homeless in my city. Or God, it would allow me to help my coworker who doesn't have a ride to work, get to work if you bless me with this car. Like what are, what are our motives when we are praying for things? If I'm going to submit to God, then I need to have the right motives and intentions when I'm asking God for things, even in prayer. More times than not, um, the prayers that God answers, uh, even in my life, I'll, I'll speak for myself, the, the times that God has answered prayers in my life Um, They're not simply to make my life better, but it oftentimes opens up an opportunity for me to bless other people. And I have to see it that way. I have to I have to have that perspective that, God, you're blessing me. But this is not just for me. This is for other people. And, And let's let's not even talk about financially. Let's not talk about jobs, but let's talk about even faith. God helped to develop my faith. God, increase my faith in this area. Help me trust you more. Help me believe in you more. Help me to have the right mind and the right attitude. Is that prayer just for you? Or if you are more faithful and you increase in your faith and you increase in what you believe God will do for your life, do you become an example for other people in your life to also increase their faith and believe? Right. So my intentions are not just that it's focused on me. My intentions are not just that God is going to produce something for me and in me, but that God will produce something for me and in me that I can turn around and help somebody else. Our purpose as believers is not for just ourselves to, to get wealthy and to get fat and and to, to have all the things that we want. But oftentimes we have to realize that it's not about the things or what we can do for ourselves. We take our cues from Jesus. And if Jesus was a servant leader and Jesus provided for others and Jesus did for the poor and Jesus fed the hungry, then we have to take our cues from that. And everything that we are blessed with should be used to bless somebody else. However, for so many of us, our prayers are simply about us. Lord, I want this. Lord, do this for me. Lord, without any thought to how that prayer may influence or impact others in our lives. So ask yourself, a bit of homework, ask yourself, am I praying for the wrong things? Instead of praying for the things I want, we should be praying for God to reveal his will for us for that day, God, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to share the gospel with? Who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to console? Who do you want me to counsel? God, help me realize what my purpose is for this day. Help me realize what you want me to do right here in this moment, whether I'm at the DMV and I'm standing in the long line. God, show me who you want me to minister to in this line. Whether I'm I'm starting a new job, God show me who you want me to minister to on this job. Even for the current job that I have, one of the things that I remember God saying to me, um, because the job I was in prior, I was so, so focused on promotion and promotion and climbing this corporate ladder. And and, and God helped me get this and God helped me get that. And I remember um when I no longer had that job, which was predominantly focused on everything that I wanted, I remember stepping into this new job and God saying okay i don't want you to ask for anything don't ask for a promotion don't ask for opportunities and i remember saying okay god you blessed me with this job you've called me to this place so show me what you want me to do and i remember the one time that i did ask for something i got shut down and i really was just asking for overtime and they were like nope maybe next time and it was like oh shoot dang it you did say don't ask for anything And the moment that I started taking those things to heart and not asking for anything, all of the promotions, all of the opportunities, those doors started to open automatically. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to push it open. All I had to do was walk in to what God was calling me to walk into. And slowly but surely, God started to reveal to me what my purpose was in that place. And I end up in this position where I have the opportunity to influence and impact certain rooms and conversations for good. I get to be in a space which can can oftentimes dictates someone's career or someone's career trajectory. And I get to be in the room where decisions are made, where I can infuse the gospel and people don't even know it, where I get to infuse a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of the scripture in my conversations, in the way that I treat people, in the way that I make decisions and people have no clue but it's all based on the fact that I prayed for these moments. God help me, show me what you want me to do. Who do you want me to impact? And I say it today that I probably minister to people more at work than I do outside. And so I've got, all of us have to have this mindset that what I pray for and what I'm asking God to do in my life, man, I've gotta be focused on how it impacts and influences other people. Here's a quote about this. It says, oftentimes the reason God does not supply what a person desires is simply that he knows it would not benefit that person. God is not obliged to answer our prayers in the affirmative. He will not act in ways that are contrary to his will. Even if he is besieged by fervent prayers. I'll pause there. Even if you ask God all day, hands down on your hands and knees, no matter how much you ask God, God will not allow things to come to pass that are contrary to his will. God is not gonna do something that goes against his scripture. God is not gonna do something that goes against his word. God is not gonna give you something that he has not already purposed for you. So when you have those moments where you're praying for something and you don't see it coming to pass and you have the tendency to get frustrated about it or upset about it, all you have to think is, God is not allowing this thing to happen for me because He's either got something greater for me or it's just not in His will right now. And the quote continues says, Anytime we seek to further our personal pleasures through prayer, we are asking amiss. In prayer, God does not bow to our will, instead, we submit to His good will for our lives. So our intentions and our motives have to be in the right place. We should be praying, God, what what do you want for my life? God, what are you looking for from me? How can I help? How can I, what can I do for you as opposed to always asking for what we we want from God? So we've got to submit our intentions to God. Here's the next thing that James teaches us. We've got to submit our relationships to God as well. We've got to submit our relationships to God. Uh, James chapter four, verses four through five. You adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? And that's just a fancy way of saying, don't you know that if you want to become friends with the world, if you want to do all these worldly things, then when when those things happen, you become an enemy of God. When you go against what God has called for you and what God wants you to do, you become an enemy of God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So let's break this down for just a moment. Let's look at at James chapter four, verses four. Um, And here's what it says. It says, uh, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with with the world means enmity against God? And so what James is really saying here when he talks about adulterous people or adulterers or adulteresses, what he's talking about, this is more of a metaphorical term that we often see in the Old Testament. And for those, um, and those people are described as people who break their vows to love and serve God and follow idols instead. So in other words, what James is saying is, listen, you're breaking your vow to love God with all your heart. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. When we choose to befriend the world instead of following what God has called us or building relationships with God, we are breaking our vows to love and serve God. And this type of behavior elicits estrangement and hostility with God. So when I choose to be a, to become a friend of the world and not God, what I am doing is I am becoming estranged from God. What I am doing is I'm creating hostility between myself and God. What I'm doing is I'm creating a contentious relationship with God because I'm choosing to follow what the world wants and do what the world wants as opposed to trusting God and being in close relationship with God. Scripture reminds us to not be conformed to this world, but have a renewed mind, which means my focus is not on things of this world, but my focus is on building a strong relationship and foundation with God. So James is trying to remind us that these types of people, when we do these things, we are breaking a vow with God. The next thing that we see is that James describes in verses eight, Uh, in in James chapter four, verse eight, here's what he says. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. This is relationship. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so what James is describing here, a double-minded person attempts to hold God and the world at the same time. And so what he's saying is that you can't do both. Here you are trying to be friends with the world, trying to be friends with God, but you can't do both. And so what he says is come near to God instead. And when you come near to God, he will come near to you. Purify your hearts, you who are double-minded. So leave the world behind. It is not a necessity for us to have deep relationships with the world, but our relationships should first and foremost be with God. I've got to be in close relationship with God. If I'm gonna submit my entire being to him, I have to be in close relationship with God. Now, does this mean that I can't have friends who, 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 who don't come to church? Does this mean that I have friends who aren't Christians? Again, if we go back to the last point about my intentions, what are your intentions of remaining friends with that person? Is it because you wanna help them get closer to God? Or is it that you, you just like this side of them? Oh, this is just a nice person. Oh, we've been friends for this long. Or is it that I, my motives and the purpose for me befriending these people is because I want to help them experience God in the way that I have? What, what James is trying to describe is that priority number one should be our relationships to God. And from our relationship with God, again, he gives us the desires of our heart. And oftentimes the desires of our heart that God gives us will line up to his scripture and his word. And what does God's word to teach us about relationships with the world? He tells us to go out and make disciples, right? Go out and share the gospel. So my purpose of befriending individuals who don't align with scripture is that I want to influence them and infuse them with the gospel. The next thing that James is showing us from these verses, verses four through 10, really, is that even though this is the case, even though we might be considered double-minded at one point, even though we might have had um, our priorities confused and mixed up, nevertheless, God will still invite us to return in humility and be close to him even still, God will allow us to have deep relationship with him. Even when we have become double-minded, even when we have become adulterous, God is still a good God where our forgiveness um, in these moments allows us to to continue developing relationships with him. And so even in those moments when when we've done things differently than what God has called us to do, nevertheless, God still invites us into deep relationship with him. When our relationships are not God-centered, they oftentimes leave us alienating God while trying to appease those relationships. Those world relationships don't hold the same value and standards that God has called us to live by. And so that is the purpose for reorganizing our priorities, that we are focusing on our deep relationships with God and now not allowing ourselves to alienate Him because we are focused on making our friends happy and we're focused on making the world happy and we're focused on doing the things that please other people. Instead, we have to focus on how can we please God? How can we support God? How can we help God? How can we do the things that God is calling us to do? God longs to be in relationship with all of us. He longs for it. This is what James is describing, right? Don't that that spirit within that he describes in the text. He longs for us to be in relationship with him. He longs for he longs to be in relationship with us, so he chases after us. When we come near to him, he comes near. He comes near to us all. James is James describes that God longs for us. When our hearts want the same thing, scripture promises that we, that he will come near to us. When we are going towards God, when we are trusting God, when we are building relationship with God, he comes near to us. The next thing that James is trying to show us about submitting ourselves to God is that we have to submit our pride to God. We have to put our pride to the side. James chapter 4, Verses 6 and 10, here's what it says. Verses six, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then all the way in verse 10, it says, so humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. In order to submit to God, it takes a level of humility that we aren't always ready to display. We aren't always ready, if we are honest with ourselves, we aren't always ready to display this level of humility that it takes to really, truly, and wholly submit ourselves to God. And James is trying to help us along. Again, it's not about finding ourselves in a dire situation and then submitting but it's about being proactive in our submission to God. And in doing that, we have to put our pride to the side. That is the only way we will ever be able to submit to anyone or anything is when we put our pride to the side. Think about the video that we just showed of the individual tapping out. It takes such a level of pride because tapping out or submitting is basically saying, I quit, I quit. In this moment, I quit. This is too much. The pressure is too intense. The possibility of of damage to my ligaments and my arms or to my brain because blood is not flowing there when there's a chokehold. This level of, of hurt is too much, so I quit. That is essentially what it is. It is saying I'm tapping out, and not just for that moment, okay, so I let you up. It's not about playing a game of mercy, but it is actually the fight is over. I quit, this is it, you win, and that takes such a level of humility and so we have to do the same thing god before i even get to that point i'm giving my life to you whatever you want i quit trying to think and do things my way i am showing a level of humility where i'm putting my pride to the side and allowing myself to be all that you want me to be and when we choose not to display that type of humility we end up looking like that person who had no choice but to tap out that's, that's oftentimes what happens, is that we are so prideful, and we want to do things our way, and I'll speak for myself. I've been so prideful at times and wanting to do things my own way that I found myself in situations where I've had no choice but to tap out. And it's a lesson learned in that moment, but it's also a reminder that I shouldn't wait into those moments, but I need to be putting my pride to the side anyway and allowing God to get the best for me. Pride does not lead to success. In case anyone was confused or misunderstood, pride does not lead to success. Pride ultimately leads to destruction, which leads to you being humbled involuntarily. And the last thing you want is to, be, is, is to be humbled involuntarily, to be put in a situation where you have no choice but to bow down, where you have no choice but to tap out. That is the last thing that people want. And this is an important point that James includes in this text, because it's hard to submit to anyone when you have not first first gotten over yourself. It's hard to submit to God when you have not gotten over yourself. And so it takes a level of humility to do that. From a spiritual perspective, when we are prideful, God opposes that type of behavior. I mean, not just God doesn't like it, but he opposes that behavior, which means that in our moments of demonstrating such a level of pride, it turns into a fight between God and ourselves. And I don't know if you realize or recognize this, but the God we're talking about created the heavens and the earth. The God we're talking about created you, which means you are effectively subject to God, which means no matter how much you fight, no matter how much you push, you will never win. Look at your neighbor and say, you will never win against God. You will never win against God. And so we have to demonstrate a level of humility that says, God, I'm all yours, whatever you want. If we're gonna submit ourselves to God, we have to abandon our selfish pride and put all that stuff aside. Practically speaking, we can start asking God what he wants and then being obedient to what he says, right? So so where can I start to put my pride aside? Maybe you're in there and you're like, ah, like, yeah, that's me. I oftentimes have to have it my way. It's my way or the highway. Or, or I have to be in control. It's, I'm in control or nobody's in control. If that is you, then one of the places that you can start to submit yourself to God is praying, God, what do you want? And actually being obedient to doing what he says. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to today? It's all about him at that point. It's not about ourselves. It's not about what you want, but it's about what God wants. When we do these things, James reminds us that God will lift us up. Right? When I I am exercising humility, God will lift me up. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12 makes it very simple. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so God is just ready to raise us up and lift us up and push us forward. when we've we've submitted to him and we've given ourselves to him. So James is showing us we've got to submit our pride to God. The next thing he shows us, last two things, submit your words and thoughts to God. Submit your words and thoughts to God. And I won't spend a a whole lot of time on this point because it's pretty clear that my words, my thoughts, all of that coming from my heart, I've got to submit every part of my being who I am, my mind, my soul, my body, all of that has to be in submission to God. And when I do those things, my words, my thoughts align with what is happening in my heart. If my heart is not aligned to God, then what comes out of my mouth, what I think will not be aligned to God. And so if I have started by submitting my whole body and myself, then everything that comes out of me is gonna be in alignment with God. And so I wanna submit my words, my thoughts, everything to God. James chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, it says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And so when I fix my lips to judge someone, I'm in judgment of the law. When I fix my thoughts to to be against someone or to point out someone's flaws or to point out someone's bad behavior, and not in a positive way that scripture tells us, not in a helpful way that scripture tells us, but when I'm just judging people or when I'm just saying things or doing things that don't align to God's will, man, those are the moments when I am standing in judgment of God's word. Here's a a quote that I really love. It says, when you fix your thoughts on God, God fixes your thoughts. When you fix your thoughts on God, when I'm focusing my attention and my heart and my thoughts and my words on God, God fixes my thoughts. It goes back to the point of God giving us the things that our heart desires. And so I wanna make sure that all of that, all of my actions are in alignment with his will. And when it comes to our thoughts, the scripture that comes to mind is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, take your thoughts captive and make them obey Christ. In other words, as I'm thinking things that don't please God, I am pulling those things down. I am taking them captive and I am, I am now changing those thoughts to be focused on the things that God wants me to be focused on. I am taking those thoughts captive. I am taking them captive and I am making them, I am submitting them and making them uh, subjective to the word of God. I am taking those thoughts out of the air. I'm putting them in a safe box. I am locking it. I'm throwing the key away and I am choosing to focus on the things that God has called me to focus on. I am choosing to take those thoughts captive and, and other translations say make them obedient to Christ, make them obedient to God. So I'm taking those thoughts and I am making them obedient to Christ. I am putting them in alignment with scripture and what God says, and I'm not allowing those thoughts to be intrusive. I'm not allowing those thoughts to create what I, what I feel and what I say and what I do, but I'm taking those thoughts that don't please God, and I am making them obedient to the word of God. Another, another scripture that's really important for this is Isaiah chapter 26, verse three. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So when our minds are stayed on God, when they are submitted to him, he keeps us in perfect peace. What better place to be in than in perfect peace? And so I've got to take my thoughts, my words and my thoughts, and I've got to make them submissive to God. And then the last thing that James is showing us from James chapter four, submit your future to God. Submit your future to God. This is all about your outlook. This is all about your outlook. This is all about where you're going. This is all about what you're saying to yourself about the next step in your life. Here's what James chapter four, verse 13 through 17 says. It says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so James tells us, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And so we have to submit our futures to God. This idea of planning, it is not that planning is bad. It is not that looking ahead is planning, right? Because there's even this thought that if you, if you uh, if you fail to plan, then you then you plan to fail. Right? If I fail to plan for things to come, if I don't have a calendar, if I don't keep my life in order, if I don't keep things in, in right focus, then I am I am planning to fail, period, in life. So it is not that planning is bad. The problem is that. Uh, it, the problem is that it, that it is, it is leaving God out of the plans that becomes the problem. So when I start doing things and saying things and I don't consider God's will or I don't consider what God wants me to do, then, then I'm leaving God out of those plans. And that is when it becomes a, a poor decision. Uh, what what um, one theologian describes is that a clear characteristic of having an affair with worldliness is making plans without consulting God. Such action is boasting. And in this boasting, it is a presumption that oneself, not God is in control of the circumstances of life. And so what James is describing when he's talking about our boasting, our boasting is is the fact that I am assuming that I have control to make those decisions and it is not in God's hand. And so it's not that planning itself is bad, it is that I am planning things without considering what God wants me to do. So instead, I should focus on, God, if this is your will, I wanna do this. God, if it's your will, I wanna have this in my life and in my future. God, if it's your will, I wanna be married. God, if it's your will, I wanna have children. God, if it's your will, I wanna accept this job. God, if it's your will, I wanna apply for this job. God, if this is your will, praying in that way And allowing God to have a say-so in our plans is what's most important. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, it says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. No matter how much you plan, no matter how much you think you're going to accomplish, without God in the mix, it will always fail. And so I need to trust God enough to say, God, what do you want me to do? do Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to pursue? What job do you want me to have? What relationship do you want me to get involved in? I need to consider God in every part of my life, every plan I'm making, everything I wanna do, everything that I'm considering doing. I need to check all of that against the plan of God. I need to filter that all through God's will. And that is how we become a success because we are bringing God into the mix and we're consulting God on everything that we're doing. It is the plans that God and the purpose of God that prevails, not just our plans. And so we've got to focus our attention on submitting our future to God. God, whatever you want to see for me in the future, I trust you. God, whatever you want me to do tomorrow. God, what do you want me to do in the next week or two weeks? God, where do you want this ministry to go? God, where do you where do you see me called to? It's not about where I wanna lead worship, but it's God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to connect to? What are the spaces that you want me to inhabit? Where do you want me to, to build my home? Where do you want me to build my life and my family? God, I want your word and your say so in every decision that I make so that my future is planned out with God in mind. And this is all helping us submit our entire beings to God. In other words, we're submitting our today. We're submitting our tomorrow. We're submitting our future. All of that is being submitted to God in an attempt to submit our whole selves to God. And that's where James teaches us today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope it blessed you and pray that whatever you take away today gets so deep into your heart and you apply it to your day-to-day life. If it was as good to you as it was good to me, please share this message with someone and let's continue to grow together. Part of our vision here at The Grove is to be givers like Christ. If you were blessed by today's message and you wanna partner with us in your giving, all you have to do is text GIVE to 844-831-4106 or visit yourgrovechurch.org slash give if you're looking for a community to be a part of we would love for you to call the grove church home and to get connected to us you can simply text go to 844-813-5747 or shoot us a dm on one of our social media platforms I pray blessings over you wherever you are and wherever you go. And can't wait for you to join us next time. Peace.